morning, everyone. Yeah, so if you remember, uh, we're talking about kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, our, our home. And uh, if you all remember last week, we talked primarily about the fact that God's kingdom is here already, but not yet. And I, I can't help but think, um, you know, we heard about Turkey this morning. And um, there we go. Uh, God's kingdom in action. And it's not just the folks in Turkey, as we said, but it's us here too. And what a fantastic opportunity. And, you know, this morning we're going to be looking at God's kingdom when it comes. Because, as we also heard this morning, this world is not right. What's happening to these women, the situation, it, it's, it's hard. It's not... You know, I was, I was talking to someone this morning, and again, it's just the pain in this world, in Turkey, here, everywhere. It's the, we live in a world that's broken, um, but God is returning. And so this morning, that's what we're going to kind of focus on is last week was, here we are today, literally his kingdom is right now, his kingdom come, and also Jesus will return, and it will, we will live close with him in eternity. So um, we're going to start with Matthew uh, chapter 25, a little bit of a more extended uh, scripture than last week. And uh, this is Jesus talking, and he's, he starts off, this is verse 1, by the way, in chapter 25. And he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like... Ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So this was um, this would be very familiar to folks at the time, uh, a Jewish wedding where there was going to be a feast at the end of the wedding, and uh, you know part of the town or community would kind of line up and and wait for the bridegroom with who knows when they would come because there are like living it up or uh, celebrating the fact that they're getting married. And so they'll, they're going to come in and, uh, uh, and the whole community was sort of, it was a giant party, right? So when the bridegroom comes, then everybody goes in with them to the feast and, and the doors close. And tradition would be at the time that like once, once the thing started, then it started. Like that's, that's it. So this would be very familiar to the people that were listening to this at the time. Verse 2, five of them, um, these would be the virgins, the girls from the community with their lamps lighting the way, were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, oh, give us some of your oil because our, our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, but there won't be enough for us and for you. Go rather to the dealer and buy for yourselves. But while they were out to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open. But he answered, Truly, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. 
And skipping to verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Um, when the Son of Man, so this would be, we're talking about the second coming. So the first coming was Christmas story. Mary, virgin, angel visitor said, miraculously, uh, she bore a son, and his name was Jesus. In a manger, you've heard the story, I presume. Uh, that was God's Emmanuel, God with us. That was the first coming of Jesus. And now, Jesus himself is talking about the fact that he will come again, which probably was really confusing to the Jews at the time because they were like, well, uh, what do you mean? You're already here. And not only that, but they were imagining that Jesus would start some sort of rebellion and overthrow Rome. And that was the new kingdom. That was what was in their minds. But of course, Jesus wasn't thinking that way at all. He had a much better plan. Anyway, so he's talking about this. Before him, that would be God come again. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. Oh, it sounds familiar, right? We just heard about this. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, What, Lord? When did we see you hungry, and feed you, and thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you with naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you like this? Thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick and in prison. And he answered them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment for the righteous, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you um, this morning. Lord, we, uh, we, uh, your kingdom is amazing. Uh, there's, this, uh, there's a tough bit to it, though. There's this fearful, I don't know, this apocalyptic tone where you talk about the separation. You talk about how some will be in with you in the feast and others won't. And that's a tough message. Um, so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us sort of get insight. But most of all, Lord, um, show up yourself. Because, honestly, at the end of the day, we can think about this and we can wrestle with this and we can be hopeful about this and we can be excited and we could think it's wrong and we could all kinds of things. 
But at the end of the day, Lord, we need you. We need you, the living person, the God Almighty, the here and now. We need you to show up because really that's what it's about. So, Lord, I, I pray. You promised we're two or more in your name, and we're certainly here in your name. So please show up. Speak to our lives. Help me not to get in the way. Thank you so much. In your name, amen. Okay. Yeah, this is apocalyptic language, off-putting for sure. At least it is to me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's uncomfortable. But here's the thing. The, the Bible is pretty clear that God will come again in judgment. Um, I would say that I think a biblical lens is that God is coming again for his family. So think of a father or think of a really good friend that you haven't seen in a long time. This is a, this is a should be for the family member, for the friend, a joyous occasion when they come back. But here's the thing. I, I just, I want to take a quick moment because it's in, in our world, and this has probably been true forever, but it's, it's especially true right now in a, in, in a, in a t at a time when we're talking about inclusion, right? At a time when we're talking about equity, in a time when we're talking about social justice, when this is top of mind, like this message of what feels like exclusion, of how can that be only way? Like the argument or the pushback, at least emotionally, if not mentally, is wait a minute, you say, that it's a God of love, but how could a God of love condemn someone to hell? And this is a pretty common, I would say normal response to, to the apocalyptic language that is throughout the Bible, right? This isn't me talking about end of the world. This is the Bible talking about the end of the world. Um, it's sort of like, similar to one of the main complaints against God is like, if God is love, if he is omnipotent, then what the heck? Right? That, it's a, I, and here, here's the thing. I get it. And we could talk about theology, we could talk about philosophy, we could talk about all these things, but here's the thing that I would like to encourage each of you to do. I would like to encourage each of you to meet Jesus. He says, taste and see. And that's my encouragement to you, is to meet him. But I, I won't stop there. Let me just address this quickly. And I, I will give you, um, I'll give you an acknowledgement. It's unfulfilling <laughs> in some ways. Like at the end of the day, you really do just say you need to meet Jesus. But, but I do want to address this real quick because I think it bears at least poking at. Okay. So first, the main thing about the separation, right, is when God says, I am the shepherd, like these are my sheep. So he's talking about separating the sheep from the goats, meaning he's talking about separating or noticing the difference between God's family and those who are not part of God's family. And here's the weird thing about the Bible. Christianity, the Bible, the way that God set it up is that we get to make this choice. What choice? The choice to be part of God's family or not. Okay, fine. But here's the kicker. The kicker is, is that if we choose to be part of God's family, 
we are surrendering ourselves. We're surrendering the fact that we're our own family. We're surrendering our will. So while it's free, it costs us everything. Now, just, you don't have to get very mystical about this. Just think about marriage. Okay, oh, I, I know, we're not, you can use whatever definition of marriage you like. This, it actually doesn't affect this. So I just want to point out, think about marriage and how it's an exclusive arrangement, regardless of your definition. What do you mean exclusive? Oh, we have an open, whatever. I, I, no, it's still exclusive. Here's what I mean. To say I am married to everyone makes zero sense. I mean, just think about that for a minute. What does it mean to be married to everyone? I, I don't even know. Marriage means, and by the way, marriage is a, uh, it's a biblical analogy for our relationship with God. So I'm on solid ground here using that particular analogy. You could talk about good friends. You could use whatever, but marriage is a pretty solid one. So by definition, you can see, I think, or at least I can see, that uh, there is some, however you want to look at it, there's some sort of exclusionary, if you want to use that negative language, operation here, meaning like my wife and I were exclusive. And God is a jealous God, and he wants to exclusively love you. He wants you to exclusively have you love him. So yes, he is a God of love, and yes, he is omnipotent. Also, for whatever reason, he has said, you decide. You decide. Are you going to be married Jesus talking. Are you going to be married to me or not? So, again, I know it's not terribly satisfying, but I would say that the main point here is not that I've presented some sort of logical or philosophical juggernaut. I certainly haven't. I would say, does it pique your interest enough to seek Jesus himself? Please. I beg of you, honest, I beg of you. Reach out to Jesus and see if he is not good. See if he is not the very best spouse you could ever have. Okay, back. So we're talking about the second coming. In there, there's implicit hope. Hope. You were just talking about end of the world, apocalypse, shepherding seat from the, okay, Here's the thing, like, it, hope, like, is it a cliche? I, you know, okay, so when you think of heaven, what do you think? Harps and clouds, right? I don't know. I don't even know where that came from, quite honestly. Uh, Earl Palmer, he, uh, he's since passed, but he was very influential to me in my growth. And I like what he used to say. He says, um, in heaven, the only harp players will be harp players, <laughs> meaning the people that play harps. Anyway, it was kind of funny. I like that. He talks about, the Bible talks about streets of gold, which is pretty crazy. Also talks, it says that the gates are made out of a single pearl. Either these are very small gates or very large pearls. I don't know which. Like, I don't even know how to parse that. 
Also, I'll make an I'll make a um, I'll make a confession. Don't care. Doesn't sound that great, actually. Like these are gates made out of a single pearl. Okay, like, but I don't know. Maybe it's great. I have no idea. Here's something that I do care about, though. It says in the and it says in the Bible that there's no more pain. Amen. Oh yeah, I want that. No more sorrow. Um, no more tears. In Revelation 21, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Oh, wow. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for all of these things will be passed away. And heaven, our bodies will be remade. Our relationships mended. Okay, that sounds great. I do like that. This world is messed up, and I do look forward to, meaning I am hopeful for, what is to come in that sense. Sort of like, um, I guess an analogy here would be migrants. I mean, we heard about refugees from Syria. You can think about uh, Mexico, or more to the point now these days, Central American people coming to the United States. Why do they do this? They do this, I mean, one, it's pretty bad where they are. And they feel, probably rightfully, or hopefully rightfully, well, sometimes it's not true, but they feel they have, what, hope that where they're going, it will be at least better. And for some, they feel that, oh, like it's the promised land almost, right? Imagine that deep burn or that push the literally many of these folks are risking it all to come to immigrate what are you risking in your walk with the lord in your christianity do you have a burning hope what's it worth what are you risking Romans 8, uh, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Okay, so all creation groaning like childbirth. This is a very succinct way of saying that, what, okay, what happens in childbirth? We have contractions, not we. I don't have contractions. Well, I sort of do, like, if I eat really spicy food and then don't pay attention, then I get cramps, but that's completely different. I just want to say that out loud. Yeah, so when a, a woman is in, is when she's about to have a, a baby, there's contractions. What happens with the contractions? So they start, what? Light. And they get ever-increasingly more intense. And they get closer together. And Paul's pointing out that all of creation is looking forward to God's return, to the return of Christ. And it's like in birth, there's contract. They're getting closer together, and they're getting more intense. Do you not see this in the world? Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies... For in this, in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Meaning, if you can see it right in front of you, you're not hoping because there it is. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. What do you hope in? What's your hope based on? See, this world is really complicated, and we have all these things telling us about how to make things better, and then we hope for a better tomorrow and so forth. So what is your hope based on? You, okay, for those of you, and this, wouldn't, this won't be all of you, by the way, for those of you who think and who hope and who imagine that next year will be better than this year, hopefully that's all of you, but I know the reality is maybe not. Where does that hope for a better year come from? What's it based on? Based on I have a good job? Is it based on I love my family? A new government program? Friends? Yourself? I work hard. Next year will be better. We all have a center. We all have something that we put our weight on. I'm not talking spiritually here. Literally, just practically. Think about it. So take a moment and think. What do you trust in? What do you have your hope in? What do you, when you get up in the morning, and something like, oh, I'm worried about this, worried about that, and then you tell yourself, but... What is that thing that you put your weight on? Think about it. What is that? Again, my plea. My plea. Put your weight, your center, on the living person of Jesus. Not the idea. Not Christianity. Not do's and don'ts the living person of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Seeking him. What does that mean? Well, it means the hard thing of giving up your own will and doing what he wants. What does he want, you think? Talk to him. Find out. He's a living person, and he loves you. There's a very famous sermon um, that came, well, Tony Compolo made it famous, but back in the day, this preacher by the name of S.M. Lockridge, and he, he had a sermon, it's quite short, uh, but it's Friday's here, but Sundays are coming. And um, Friday, it's, it, the idea is back when Jesus got crucified. So on Friday, he was essentially tortured, hung on a cross, and died. And as you can well imagine, it was devastating for his disciples, for his followers. Devastating. They scattered. Peter, the most zealous of them all, denied Christ three times. It was devastating. But here's the thing. Sunday is coming. Sunday's coming. What happened on Sunday? 
You will not find Jesus here. The grave is empty. He rose again. This world we live in, it's pretty much Friday. We heard a lot in the prayers this morning about how, you know, we're just inundated with news of this and that. Hardly any of it good. We hear about these atrocities in Turkey, the terrible, terrible living conditions. It's Friday. Wars, sickness, death, political turmoil, political nonsense, broken relationships, broken families, hurting people, addictions. It's Friday, folks. Our world is deeply broken. But Sunday's coming. You can depend on it. Jesus will come back, and we will live with him forever. We can, we can feel all of, like Paul says, the creation. We can feel, we can feel it kick. We can feel this new world's heart beating. You see, death, which is where this goes, was never God's plan. This modern idea that death is this part of life, that's not biblical. Death was never part of God's plan. And remember, it's not just death in physical sense, but it's death, of, it's that, death that gets you day to day, the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of a job, just decay, entropy, death. That's not what God wants. Like sin itself, death is a distortion of what God wants. So our hope. Our hope is for mended relationships, a perfected body, and a tip, like mental acuteness. Hanging out with Jesus and his family. And here's the thing. It starts today. Because God's kingdom is here already. We hear about God's kingdom working in Turkey. I listened this morning as we were praying before the, the service about what God is doing here and now. God's kingdom is on the move today. But the reality is, is that it is not yet here in full. And that will be a glorious day. Um, there's a... Um, uh, well, he's an author, singer-songwriter, et cetera. His name is Andrew Peterson. I'm not a big, I, I tend to, well, I'll, I guess I can make a, con, uh, um, <laughs> a lot of the worship tunes that are sort of out there, like in Christian radio, they make a, like a little throw up in the back of my throat come. So, uh, so that's probably not good. Probably means I'm not a very good Christian. But Andrew Peterson, like him, for whatever reason. He's got a song. Um, it's quite, it's been out for a while. It's, um, it, it, it was pretty popular. It's a longer song. And the reason I like it is that it's so biblically based, and it's very much in line with what it is that we're talking about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast through the lyrics here real quick. Um, don't you ever want, this is a song, by Don't you ever wonder why, in spite of all that's wrong here, there is still so much that goes right and beauty abounds? I used to be a little boy, 
as golden as the sunrise breaking over Illinois when the corn was tall. But every little boy grows up and he's haunted by the heart that died, longing for a world that was before the fall. Oh, but then forgiveness comes, a grace I cannot resist. And now I see that the world is charged. It's glimmering with promises written in the script of the stars dripping from the prophet's lips. But still, my thirst never slept. I'm hounded by restlessness, eaten by this endless ache because I can see it in the seas of wheat. I can feel it when the horses run. It's howling through the snowy peaks and blazing in the midnight sun because just behind the veil of wind, a million angels waiting in the wings, a swirling storm of cherubim making ready for the reckoning. Oh, how long? How long? When the world is new again and the children of the king are ancient in their youth again, maybe it's a better thing, a better thing. To be more than merely innocent, but to be broken than redeemed by love. Maybe this old world is bent, but it's waking up. I am waking up because I hear the voice of one. He's crying in the wilderness. Make ready for the kingdom come. Do you know Jesus? When you know Jesus, this ache reveals itself in the grace and the salvation and the promise of a new world. Do you believe that he's really coming back? You know, we want social justice. You know that Jesus is coming back with justice. Yes, our adoption is fully paid, but we still have a role. It's no good to sitting around doing our own thing. No, we need to make a choice and we need to place a bet, and we need to stand on the reality of who God is. Just like relationships with people, meaningful relationships you have with people, are they free? Sure. Do they cost you everything? Yeah. I'll end with um, uh, you two covered one of David's King David in the Bible covered one of his songs. It's pretty good. Called 40. Some of you older timers might remember it. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifts me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. How long? How long must I sing this song? How long? You set my feet upon the rock. 
made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will hear. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? How long? How long, how long, how long, how long must we sing this song? So, close our eyes. Dear Lord, we do love you. Lord, it's this amazing thing, your kingdom, your economy, your people, your family, how it is here now already. This church is witness to this. Your work in Turkey is witness to this. I, I see answers to prayer all around. You are good. You are a good God. You know, I, I went to a wedding on Friday, and I was just overwhelmed with your goodness and how your family surrounds people, and it's good. You know why? Because you are good. But, Lord, it's not perfect <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Life is not just good. You are good. But this world is broken. Where's our hope? Our hope should be with you. We want to go, I at least, I want to go home. Where's home? Where you are. I want to hang out in your living room and play with your toys. I want to see my brothers and sisters and be with your family without without this brokenness, this sin, this darkness, this, Lord, I want to be with you. And I understand that I can have relationship with you already. Why? Because you loved me so much that you sent your son, your only son, to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life without blame, nothing, just perfect. And then to be crucified, killed, murdered. Why? Why did you do that? So that I could live with you forever. And this is my hope. This is why when the world is not good, like when it's bad for real, this is why I can continue. Because of me, because I'm a strong person. Oh, no, no, hardly, hardly, hardly. No, 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 no. In fact, forgive me, Lord. I have missed the mark over and over and over. Forgive me. Lord, I surrender myself. I surrender my hopes and my dreams. And I take them all. And I make the choice to do the impossible thing and place them on you. And you promise that you will make me into a new creation that will be perfected when you come back again. And then I guess at that point, the gates that are made out of a one pearl will actually probably be amazing. And you'll tell me, see, you're being silly for thinking it's dumb. So Lord, be with us, Lord. In a really in a very real way, in this broken world, be with us. This is my only, this is my prayer. Philosophy aside, 
Meet my Jesus. He is a good God. In your wonderful, glorious name. Amen.